One of the important parts about repeat purchase rate that I think people neglect is how they measure it. Right. Like sometimes they measure it in terms of like how much of my revenue came from this month, from August, uh, was returning customers. And they'll say, okay, we had $100,000 in sales this month and $30,000 came from returning customers. And so my repeat purchase rate is 30%. That is not the right way to measure it. The right way to measure it is to look back a year ago and say, what percentage of customers from August, 2021 have bought again? Mm -hmm. That's the only way to measure it. All right, Moise, we're back for episode eight. Yeah, we've been on a hiatus for about two weeks. Yeah, well, so you've been like traveling. Yeah, I've been traveling, so we got. A, I've got a lot more energy for this one. Sweet. I'm yeah, I'm pretty fired up it. to be back. Actually, yeah, yeah me too. Because we we were away for like two weeks, three weeks, something like that. Yeah, that's right. So I'm um, pumped to be back. Bunch of stuff to talk about. Uh, I think we're going to go through a lot of great things. First is benchmark metrics, which I'm really excited to chat about because I feel like these are metrics that no one has any idea what. Sh- like you know. How much should you spend on your fulfillment costs as a percentage of your revenue? Right. How much? How many customer service tickets should you get as a percentage of orders? Mm-hmm. What should your repeat purchase rate look like? Mm-hmm. All those types of things that every e-commerce company thinks about, and no one knows what other businesses look like. So I'm excited to share what I saw at Native and what I'm seeing today. I think it'll be really exciting. Today's August 31st, so we're going to be talking about a P&L, because tomorrow people are going to start creating P&Ls. You know, I'm going to start creating it tonight as soon as it, the clock hits midnight. I can't wait. Uh, what goes in a P&L? What should it look like? Uh, how do you do a P&L? Things like that. Then we're going to switch to marketing. What are some great marketing ideas for Q4? Some collaboration stuff. Pixels. Uh, you know, you brought this bottle of Truff Hidden Valley Ranch, uh, which I'm excited to chat about. And then there's just some random thoughts I've had that I'd love to chat on the pod with you about. Let's do it. Okay, so first is what I'm most excited to chat about, which is repeat purchase rate. Like, what should a brand's repeat purchase rate look like? This falls under the umbrella of just benchmark metrics. And I think it really depends on what the brand is selling. And that's pretty obvious. Like, you know, Casper Mattress is not going to have the same repeat purchase rate as Hint Water. Sure. You're going to drink, you know, two bottles of Hint Water in a day. You're certainly not going to order two mattresses in a day. Right. And so I think it matters depending on your category. And if you're lucky, a lot of categories will be publicly available. Like, you know, Casper, you could have seen. Purple, you can see. They'll talk about their repeat purchase rate in their SEC filings. Mm -hmm. At Native, when we started the business, we had like a 20 to 25% repeat purchase rate, which kind of sucks for a consumable product like ours. Right. And so what we did is we kept iterating on the formula. And like, you know, by the time I left, we were close to about 50%, which is fantastic. Uh, but you know what was really hard is when we were trying to sell the business. Uh, I talked about repeat purchase rate with all of the buyers. You know, I showed them graphs and I was like, "Here's what our repeat purchase rate looks like." Looks like, and um, you know, I was like, "I have no idea if this is good or not." Like, what do you guys see? And they're like, "We've never seen anything this high." <laughs> and I was like, uh, "Wow, this is awesome." And then I was like, I don't think you guys know what your repeat purchase rate is because once we launched into Target, I was like, I've got no idea what our repeat purchase rate looks like. And that's the only place you can buy Old Spice, right? You can only, nobody's going to oldspice.com to buy Old Spice. And so I have a strong feeling that they just don't know what they're talking about when they mention that. Uh, But I've asked some other guys too. Like I asked some guys in the hair care space who started in like the 1990s and the 2000s. I was like, what is your repeat purchase rate? And they were like, it was north of 70%. I was like, you have no idea what yours is either. Because <laughs> yeah. 70% is the best repeat purchase rate I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's you're selling like, drugs. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, that's right. It's cocaine. Yeah. But like one of the important parts about repeat purchase rate that I think people neglect is how they measure it. Right. Like sometimes they measure it in terms of like, how much of my revenue came from this month, from August, 
uh, was returning customers. And they'll say, okay, we had $100,000 in sales this month and $30,000 came from returning customers. And so my repeat purchase rate is 30%. That is not the right way to measure it. The right way to measure it is to look back a year ago and say, what percentage of customers from August 2021 have bought again? Mm -hmm. That's the only way to measure it. The other one, which is returning customer revenue, is an interesting metric to measure. And it'll tell you a lot about your growth. Like if mm-hmm. 70% of your revenue is coming from returning customers this month, you're probably not growing very quickly because only 30% of your revenue is new customers. So I think that's an interesting metric to keep in mind. But the only way to measure repeat purchase rate is to look back at what did the cohort from August 2021, how many of them have purchased again? And I think not enough people do that or talk about it. I also think uh, what you mentioned at the end was really important, which is It's just another data point because if the repeat purchase rate is really high and you're like, you know, you're looking to buy a business or you're consulting with a business, but the repeat purchase rate is super high, you have to wonder, like, are they even bringing in new customers? Yeah, yeah. When you, when you mean repeat purchase rate, you mean re- repeat revenue coming in like Sorry, per repeat month, right? revenue, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. agree, yeah. Like, are you just bringing in new customers? And to right. be honest, it changes a lot, right? Like, I remember when I started Native, you know, it was 98% new customers. Right. And by the time I was leaving, it was, you know, 40% new customers. We just weren't growing nearly as fast, right? right? Like, we weren't doubling our revenue month over month. And returning customers compound. Right. So that number gets really large, and it's hard to beat that number with new uh, new customers. Totally. Um, okay, the other, there are a few other metrics I wanted to chat about here from a benchmark metric perspective. The other one is marketing costs as a percentage of revenue. I took this screenshot two weeks ago now, so I forgot where I got this screenshot from. But it basically shows large companies and their cost of uh, marketing as a percentage of their revenue. So if you look at like P&G, it's 24%. Nestle's 32%. I guess it's really expensive to market 84 different brands of water. <laughs> uh, Unilever is only 19%. L'Oreal is 50%, 55%. And wow. I don't remember this source, but like um, I thought it was a pretty good source when I saw it. Yeah. Uh, and that's really interesting because like, look at P&G, it's 25%. Look at Lululemon, it's 38%. Right. You know, look at Unilever, 19%. Uh, Yeti is 39%. And so uh, look at Figs. Figs is 62%. Right. Uh, and so those are bananas numbers. The way I think about it is if you're trying to grow really fast and throwing a lot and like, you know, maybe have a one-time purchase type of business, you're ready to spend more on marketing as a percentage of revenue because you probably have better margins. Totally. And so I think that like 40% is really the max I ever got comfortable with where people were spending 40% of revenue on marketing. So like if you had $100,000 in sales this month, you probably spent 40,000. That was bullish. That was sort of like putting the pedal all the way down and saying, we need to acquire new customers. Right. And then the guys who were spending less than 25%, so on the flip side of Bitcoin, I was like, you're not spending enough. Like, yeah, you're what not are you going doing hard. here? Yeah. 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 Like someone's going to realize this business is phenomenal and come in and start spending a lot more than you. I've always thought the great metric was around 30%, 30 to 33%. If you were in that range, you were spending a good amount. You were focused on growth, but not growth at all costs. Right. And so that's the number I always used in my head. It was interesting for me when I looked at this chart just to see what did other brands do? Like, you know, what is Unilever doing spending 19%? It's pretty low. And you probably don't have to spend as much advertising Ben and Jerry's as you do like a new CPG company. Right. I mean, the Allbirds number here, I mean, uh, well, yeah, Allbirds and Warby Park are interesting. Allbirds is 73%. 
and Warby Parker is 125%. Yeah. It makes me think though that number isn't right. 125% yeah. is a lot for all birds. Like I I forgot the source. I, I wish I'd written it down because it was two weeks ago now. But um, I think the the big CPG houses there, the Unilever, L'Oreal's, and P&Gs of the world, those are pretty accurate. It's a little harder with the direct-to-consumer brands because like, you know, their marketing budgets shift so much. Like if they're launching right. a new... You know, when P&G spends like $8 billion a year marketing, and so if you've got a new marketing campaign dropping right before the quarter is over, it probably isn't that much money considering you're spending $8 billion. Right. If you're Warby Parker or somebody else, it's probably a much bigger percentage of your revenue. Right. Okay, the last one I want to chat about, and because I've got a ton of experience with this, is customer service tickets as a percentage of orders. So let's say you get a thousand orders a day. How many customer service tickets should you be getting? And I've done a ton of customer service in my life. And so I'm very like- What was the name you chose? At Native, we chose Julia Colbert. That was her last (laughs) name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So like uh, my first business was this drop shipping business where we basically used third parties to ship out the packages. And as Mm -hmm. a result, shipping took forever. And there were a ton of fucking mistakes you know, they'd be out of inventory and we didn't know it. And so we're like, okay, we've got to wait to get more inventory. Then we can ship the product out to the consumer. So over 40% of orders resulted in a ticket then, like a customer service ticket. Customer being like, where's my package? What's going on? It's been a week. I haven't even gotten a shipping notification. Uh, You know, what the fuck is going on here? All those types of things. And that was horrific. Cause like, you know, you're not doing a ton of revenue and you're getting a lot of tickets. At Native, it was about 20%. So like, you know, I think on Black Friday one day, we did like 25,000 orders, which is a bananas number. That's nuts. And, you know, 20% of those are going to result in tickets and more on Black Friday because products won't go out till Monday, Tuesday, right. Wednesday. People especially if you got fulfillment works shipping that stuff out. Because <laughs> sort of like, you know, it's taking them seven days to get this stuff out. And so we're like, um, you know, everyone's like, where's my, I ordered on Black Friday. It's now Wednesday of the following week. When is this thing shipping? And so that was a lot. Uh, but generally, overall, we measured this on a weekly basis. On it, We had an all-hands meeting every Tuesday. Yeah. And one of the key metrics was how many orders were there the last week and how many tickets did we get? So we can say, okay, are we hitting the 20% rule? If it's more than 20%, we're probably doing something wrong. We're not shipping out packages fast enough. Our FAQ needs to be updated. There's a website issue. Something is going wrong that we're causing. Right. And if it was under 20%, I was like, we're not getting enough new orders in, basically. Right. That's a great um, metric. You should build out a template for what that weekly all hands it, yeah. the metrics were that you went over. Yeah. That would probably be huge. Yeah. That was a great uh, meeting that we did. Uh, yeah. Because we did, like, that was the one where I was like, nobody can miss this. Uh, one of the other things that we did as a team is once a month, everyone would get a $20 Amazon gift card and they would have to hand it to somebody else on the team in front of everyone else and say why they were giving it to this person, like why they were showing appreciation. Mm. Uh, and it could never be me. Yeah. Uh, like you couldn't give it to me. And uh, that was really great because it built a lot of camaraderie, but it was also great. Could to somebody hear what, get all the gift cards? Uh, once, like once we went to Hawaii as a team and this girl did a fantastic job organizing everything. Yeah. So the following Tuesday, everyone's like, you get my $20 gift <laughs> card because Hawaii was better, far better because of you. Yeah. That happened rarely, though, because usually the ops people were like, this ops person did me a favor. The marketing people will be like, this marketing person did me a favor. But But like the overall meeting was great and that template was really great as well. Nice. Okay, shifting gears a little bit, monthly P&L. What do you, you create a monthly P&L or no? Uh, No, but I put it on my to-do list this morning after I saw your tweet. Yeah. So explain what that tweet is. Do you create a quarterly P&L or no P&L whatsoever? Yeah, like no P&L whatsoever. Wow. Oh my (laughs) God. 
Okay. This is going to change your life because the first of every month, you're going to be like, how much money did I make? Yeah. And basically, I'm just like, how much, how good was I the last 30 days? Like, yeah. you know, uh, should I be proud this of is myself for your, or shame? you personally? This is for businesses, like uh, businesses that I'm a part of. Um, okay. So if I'm an investor, you know, people will be sending me P&Ls and I will sure, have to sure. create them. And they're super interesting. Like as soon as I get that email, I'm like, stop everything. Yes. Like, you know, it's I so much fun this. to look into. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, certainly a native, I was running it and the businesses that I've got going on right now, I'll create one as well. Uh, so, you know, the top line in a P&L, the first, it's a, basically an Excel spreadsheet and the top line, and it's called top line is revenue. How much sales did you have? And the bottom line is net profit. How much net profit did you have? And so basically after sales, you just start subtracting every expense. How much did you pay in credit card processing fees? How much did you pay in marketing? How much did you pay in Facebook ads? How much did you pay in postage? How much did you pay in pick and pack? How much did you pay in wages? Mm -hmm. You know, so you look at all of those and you're at the end, you're like, how much money did I make or lose at the end of the month? And there's a couple nuances to it that I like to think about. One is like, I like to look at all of them as a percentage of revenue. How much did we pay in wages as a percentage of revenue? Because if we're paying 40% of our revenue in wages, that's a fucking lot. Like, you know, we better have a huge sales team if we're paying that much in employee salaries. You know, how much did we pay in marketing costs? Like, was it 30%? Is our 3PL charging 20%? Yeah. Or how did they screw us this month? And how do I get it back down to the 15% that <laughs> right. they should be uh, charging? Um, so I look like to look at it as a percentage of revenue. Yeah. The hard part for e-commerce companies, and like, I'm not sure how you think about it as trauma brands, but certainly long weekend, you should think about it is like, um, let's say you bought 10,000 units of deodorant at long weekend in August, but you only sold 2,000 of them because you bought five months of inventory. Right. Do you use that all as one expense? Do you say, okay, all 10,000, I, uh, I have to expense it today. Like on my P&L, I say 10,000 units purchased for $10,000. Well, you still have 8,000 in inventory. Right. And next month when you sell them, you, you, know, you won't expense anything. So let's say you purchased 10,000 and you only sold 10,000. If you expensed all 10,000 this month, you'd be using the cash method, which is basically, I spent this much in cash I, I like, you know, I wrote a check for $10,000 for 10,000 deodorants and I sent it out and, you know, I have $10,000 less in profit. If you use the accrual method, you'd say I only sold 2,000. So I'm only going to expense 2,000. And that's what makes the, you know, P&L a little bit more interesting is you should be using the accrual method. Right. Because you want to expense that, like, you know, you sold, you got revenue for 2,000. You want to expense 2,000. Right. Then you get to see, hey, how much money did I make? Because your bank account could be fluctuating so much, right? Totally. Like you could have just purchased six months of inventory today. You'd have nothing in your bank account, but you could be super profitable. Right. So one of my friends who runs this beauty company, he does like $2 million in sales a month. It's just him and like three employees. He's like, uh, we are not very profitable. And so I remember digging into his P&L and I was like, you're buying a ton of inventory and expensing all of it every month. Yeah. Like you're, you're growing so much. So every month you're buying a fortune in inventory because you have to plan for doubling sales next month and you're expensing it all that like, you know, this month. And so you're looking at it, a cash method. Let's move to an accrual method. And we looked at an accrual method and he was making a fortune. He's yeah. like, I'm making $300,000 a month. It turns out. And he thought he was making nothing. Wow. And that's the fun part about P&Ls is like, if you look at it in one way or the other, you know, it can give you very different results. Totally. You you should start creating one for long weekend. Oh, I, I do for the businesses. Okay, I thought this was like a personal P&L. Oh, no, no. Yeah, like how much are you spending on your own credit card? Not enough. Uh, <laughs> not enough. My life is not that interesting, sadly. Actually, uh, do speaking of, weekend. you know what was hilarious? The amount of texts I got on, I think, Monday when you put your tweet out looking for an Airbnb. 
yeah. and you said your requirements. Yeah. And your last requirement was under 20K. Yeah. Is that a lot or not a lot? <laughs> That's, that is so much. Oh, is that a lot? Okay, gotcha. You know what's insane <laughs> is that uh, Airbnbs in New York, like I rented a one bedroom that was yeah. 500 square feet in October of last year. Yeah. And it was f- like $14,000. It was smaller than this podcast studio. That's maybe the, the size of this podcast studio, and it was fourteen thousand. Why is it so expensive? Because it's really hard to find furnished places in New York right now. That's fair. For what it's worth, I'm right now. I'm paying forty seven hundred dollars. Oh, so that's yeah, yeah. But I'm like, I can go up. Yeah. I'm looking to go up. Welcome actually. to the peasant life. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I paid fourteen thousand dollars for uh, five hundred square feet on Blue Ground. It's wild. And uh, yeah, and they're like, you have to pay an additional $300 a month for electricity. I'm like, I'm not using, it's 500 square feet. I can use $300 a month. Yeah, I'm bringing a generator. <laughs> That's right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a Mophie and a generator. Yeah. So did, did anyone text you a lead? Because I'd love a lead to that. No, no, no. no. People just were like, just like, what, the fuck what is, is this guy's voice? deal? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get any leads either. Yeah. Like, no one was like, hey, I've got a place, yeah. which is crazy. If, I don't think they'd be spending time on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, maybe not. All right, let's talk about pixeling sites because okay. I'm really excited to hear what you're thinking. Yeah. And then see what it inspires in my head. Okay. What, like, um, th- you know, when you're a new brand, and we got to switch to Q4 ad channels because I feel like I've been talking too much already. But yeah. when you're a new brand and you have no SEO, let's say you start a new uh, coffee company or a new water company and you're like trying to get sales and you have to do everything via paid ads. Yeah. You know, people are Googling what is the best coffee company or best coffee subscription, and they get linked to an article on like Thrillist or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I started reaching out to those brands and I was like, let me drop a Facebook pixel on your website. And so I did this with like The Bustle. Do you know what The Bustle is? Yeah. Uh, And a bunch of like female oriented sites when we were running native or when I was running native. And I was like, look, you're ranked number one, number two, and number three, the th- you know, these three random blogs for like best natural deodorants or natural deodorants, the work or any of that kind of stuff on Google. And, you know, you're probably getting a lot of hits here. Let me drop my Facebook pixel on that web page. You know, you're not giving me any information. You're not giving me any email addresses or anything to that effect. And let me retarget people that land, like that click that link on Google. Look at that. Look at your website. I don't know what else they're doing. And I don't know how they got there, but let me retarget those people on Facebook once they land on your website uh, to try and get some sales. And so I tried that. I reached out to all these organizations and we actually got a little bit of traction with, I think it was the bustle. We were very close to signing an agreement. We had a bunch of other things going on at the time, so we never did. But I thought that was a great idea. Like drop a pixel on, you know, you want to drop a pixel on like Wirecutter and New York Times when people are Googling, you know, best carry on luggage if you're away travel and um, then retargeting those people because it's high intent people. And, you know, you can pay the bustle or whoever it is for those leads and be like, look, I'll pay you $500 a month and, you know, 20% of all revenue that I generate from this pixel or from those retargeting ads. It's a great idea. So back in 2017, there were a lot of companies that tried to do this like pixel swapping as a service. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think all of them failed. But the publisher side of it is interesting because for the exact reason that you said, you know, these people are going and they have some sort of intent already to purchase natural deodorant. When I'd also tried that at Hint and they said your favorite line, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but what we did do was, uh, the first one that I did was with the hustle and we put a article on the hustles website. And if you search the hustle and sweetie and Google, you'll find it. 
That article was sponsored by Hint. It was a great story. It was written in a very catchy way. And then we got the ability to run that article using the Hustle's Facebook page. So we were whitelisting the page. This was also before anybody knew the term whitelisting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would get the audience of people who hit that page shared with our business manager so we could retarget them. Yeah, great. And what we found was that only about 15 to 18% of traffic that reads the article ends up clicking any any link. And in that case, we were every word of hint is hyperlinked. So with all that, it's 15%. With a general article, it's probably way lower. So that leaves 85% of the people to be properly retargeted. For sure. And you know, see the ad again. And it works really, really well. In fact, we do customer acquisition just like this for a ton of brands right now. And it's their best channel by far. Yeah. But oh, that's awesome. Yeah. The the advertorial strategy or even sourcing data, like buying data, either doing it this way where it's like a partnership on, yeah. on another editorial site, or like there's a, there's a company called Polygon where you know you can say, or actually this happens through Agile. So Agile can say, uh, you know, we're going to work with this brand that's launching this uh, alkaline water in Target, and we need super targeted ads. And so Agile can go and build an audience of all the Target stores in America, drop that geofence of mobile device IDs that went into Target. Wow. You, know, you could say like, went into Target yeah. twice, or you could go to uh, Oracle and say, I want American Express cards that yeah. spend at Target. And basically, you know, these third-party data sources get really interesting, especially because the engagers off of that audience creates a whole other lookalike audience that becomes very fruitful as well. Yeah. We tried that Oracle one once and it didn't work out for us. Like, yeah, uh, we couldn't get anything. Um, But the best one that I found was this company under, it was a sub company of unroll.me. I think I mentioned it on this podcast, but it was, it was like, we would just buy people who got receipts from Amazon yeah. in their inbox of bottled water, that was the best audience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? That was the best audience? Best audience wow. we ever tested. And you bought that from for. unroll.me? Yeah, which okay. is owned by Rakuten. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. So, oh, it was Rakuten, which owns unroll.me, which owns, or I think, which is owned by Slice Intelligence. Wow. And that was the company. And that was the same company that like Uber and Lyft would buy to yeah, yeah, get yeah. their each other's users. I remember 10 years ago at New, like New York Tech Week, Unroll.me like launched or something like that. Not New York Tech Week, like a New York Tech meetup. Like when you were still yeah. going to like meetup.com, you know? Um, they launched and I was there and everyone was like, this is amazing. And at New York, te- you're at, those, at that meetup, you were never allowed to ask the startup, uh, how are you going to monetize this? Wow. Uh, because they're like, we don't want people to create technology just to make money, which is the dumbest reason I've ever heard of. But like nobody could ask them. And that that's a genius business model for them, which is we look at your Amazon orders yeah. and we just sell that information. We're going to help you so sling smart. bottled water better than your competitors. Yeah, yeah. That is so <laughs> smart. Um, okay. I'd love to talk a few uh, about these Q4 ad channels that you listed here. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what this was about. <clears throat> okay. So I was uh, texting with a friend. We were just brainstorming on um, tactics that like smaller brands do in Q4. And, you know, one of them was like a lot of them have been a lot of them go to agile because the cost of wrapping a truck and a truck that's already running is not going to increase like Facebook CPMs will when P&G unleashes their Q4 budget. So then it got me thinking, well, what are other versions of channels that don't increase in scale of CPM as a result of demand coming in? And so 
traditionally, like this is the time everybody builds their digital audience, you know, their first party audience to go retarget the shit out of in Q4 and send emails to. But that's pretty much all you can do if you're a small brand because you can't afford to fight that battle against Moise Ali sitting in his office <laughs> running Facebook ads. Yeah, with no lights on. No lights on. So and some of the it. tactics I can't, yeah. <laughs> some of the tactics I came up with. One is this out of home truck with Agile. And that's cool because you can basically, any they collect those mobile device IDs that I was just talking about. And so they can upload a truck route. So a delivery truck that's already doing its thing, they'll upload the route, they'll slap the billboard on, and then they'll get this audience of people who are on the ground level of altitude or ground level and were around the truck at the time it passed by so you can retarget them on Facebook. They like geofence their uh the truck. The truck? Yeah. Fuck. It's sick. So that's one. And the cost of trucks don't increase. And they technically could, yeah. like if demand went up. Yeah. But like they just won't. Yeah. You yeah. know? And yeah, so you put email on this list. Sorry, next. And I yeah. was like, if Yapo were Clavio or if Clavio were Yapo, they would surge the cost of your emails yeah, on Black yeah. Friday. Be, you want to send something out on Black Friday? It's three pennies an email, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, that is so true. So yeah. So the, the other one was direct mail. So the cost of stamps don't increase in Q4, yeah. right? And the cost of printing a postcard also doesn't increase, neither does ink. And so that was another one where if you could get a great list, you can send direct mail out. And that's a very that is a stable great idea. prospecting channel. Yeah, that is a great idea. Send yeah. out a lot more direct mail in Q4 so you exactly. don't spend as much on high expensive Facebook ads. Exactly. Then affiliate is like always a standard percentage. Yeah. And then the last one I thought of was more tactical, which was you know using a gift with purchase as a loss leader versus you know, heavily discounting on top of ads. Yeah. But all these things, I view them as very short-term tactical advantages. Like the second Agile hears this podcast, they're probably going to increase their rates. And maybe the same with like uh, direct mail companies. But I think these are things that anybody can do. And, you know, it's a very predictable cost. Yeah. I love the idea of gifts with purchase because you just like, um, we used to do free travel sizes all the time and the travel sizes would cost us like 62 cents. Right. And, uh, you know, they had a perceived value of $3. And uh, now I think it might even be $4. And so whenever people would get um, a free travel or whenever people would be like, oh, I got a free travel size, I just saved $3. And we're like, this cost us 60 cents. Yeah. It was way better than giving you 10% off. Right. 10% off would cost us $1.20. Right. You know, a free travel size costs us half that. And you are you like the free travel size more than you like the travel, the 10% off. Uh, so I always, I love gift with purchase. I know one brand, uh, I want to bring this up. Uh, I can't mention the name. They have the most interesting affiliate strategy I've ever seen. You know, most brands, when it comes to like Black Friday, they send out emails to their customers being like, you know, sale, sale, sale. They'll do that. But one of the other things they'll do is they'll say, we're running a Black Friday promotion to our affiliates. Uh, hmm. Instead of 20%, we're giving 25% or 30%. Also, whoever is the number one affiliate this weekend gets a new car or a $10,000 wow. or like, you know, a $1,000 gift certificate on Amazon. Wow. And so they run promotions to their affiliates and not necessarily their customers. And it allows them to maintain a lot of price integrity because, right. you know, they're not constantly spamming their customers. They're spamming affiliates. Right. And those affiliate, like, you know, all of a sudden, you like, I'll see it. Their I'm incentives not, are aligned. Yeah, exactly. You'll see the, like the increase in ads where you're like, I'm sorry, not ads, but on affiliate posts, uh, you know, over a weekend. And I'm like, I bet they sent out an email. 
because all of a sudden all of these affiliates are like, hey, buy this product, buy this product, yeah, buy this yeah. product. And you're like, well, what's going on here? Like five affiliates? I haven't seen these five affiliates post about this. Since in a while. last time they posted yeah, about it. Yeah, all five of them posted exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a quarter to go together. <laughs> and so that's real. I thought it was a really smart strategy. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like affiliate is, if you don't have a ton of money to spend on building a really good program, affiliate has to be really grassroots and done in a very curated way. Versus just like turning it on and letting the coupon sites come oh, hound God. you. And also fuck you, honey. <laughs> and uh, and if you do have a lot of money, then you're you know basically working with like the cream of the crop, traffic pushers who also have a beautiful brand and yeah. you know a great source of content. Yeah, yeah, that's what they do. You definitely have to like weed out uh, those garbage websites. And they're all like in India or Pakistan that are coupon websites. And if you're on But there are listeners, so we do love them. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. In fact, they're our cousins. Uh, <laughs> our is cousins. The okay, let's talk about marketing collaborations a little bit. Um, yeah. It sounds like uh, this Truff one went really well. Yeah, let me find some stats here. So the Truff one did really well. It was hyped up for a while. Yeah. You know, it crushed. Like, my entire social feed was crowded with it. Machine Gun Kelly was posted like eating it the day or the day before. I mean, everybody's talking about it and it, and it ended up selling out really quickly. Yeah. On top of that, it was being resold on eBay. Like it's currently up for sale on eBay for, I want to say two to $400. Get the fuck out of per here. Per bottle. How much is, uh, wow. I'm going to say it to you now, go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, how much, did, how much were they selling it for? That's a good question. Um, that is crazy. They just made the product earlier this month, actually. Like I can wow. tell by the best buy date. It's you yeah. know, uh, August 3rd, 2023. They've got a one year stability on this probably. So they just made this stuff. That's wild. Yeah. It. Yeah. In it, fact, uh, you can read the lock code. Oh man, you guys got to change lock code. Like when you get lock codes, you got to make it so it's not obvious to yeah, everybody. Yeah. Like I can read this right now. It says it was made August 3rd, 2022. Wow. Super fresh. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so $25 for this 18-ounce bottle, which is a lot bigger than their normal bottle. Yeah, that's a pretty reasonable price. Yeah. So I, th I thought a couple things. One, I think Truff just crushes it from yeah. a standpoint of understanding culture. Yeah. Their billboards, when they whenever they do out of home, it just makes so much sense. And everything that they do, even their like videos for their ads are so forward-thinking or you know animated. They're just awesome. Yeah. The second one is people love these nostalgic brands. A lot of new brands don't tap into that enough. Yeah. Like Hidden Valley Ranch is something everybody grew up on. Everybody in the world knows what Hidden Valley Ranch is. It's like Coca-Cola. Yeah. And and I think people, like I've definitely done it, mix truff and ranch. You know, you're having some chicken nuggets, truff and ranch, uh, mix it together. <laughs> and And so I think they were just, this just made so much sense. You know what's crazy? You said like this is a uh, Hidden Valley's like Coca Cola. What's crazy about this collaboration is it worked really well with a brand that I'm not sure is super loved. Like I'm not sure if Hidden Valley has this amazing reputation. Like you know today, if you went to Whole Foods and you were buying uh, salad dressing, I think you'd probably reach for something else totally. and not Hidden Valley, where you're like, I want something where somebody cares about the ingredients and has updated the ingredient profile in the last century. Right. But this one worked really well for Truff. And yeah. I, that's really impressive. I, I like. I'm always, I always realize how uh, what, what a novice I am at marketing when people are able to pull things off like off, like this off really well. And I'm like, wow, I would have never thought that Hidden Valley and Truff would have made sense, but it does. Like the packaging right. looks right. 
it's not too much in Valley. And they did a great job. Yeah. Their last collaboration also was pretty awesome with um, Taco Bell. Truff had one with Taco Bell? Yeah, they oh, had mini awesome. Truff, Truff hot sauce, fries, nachos type thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the greatest collaboration in the history of the world may be Doritos and Taco Bell. Yeah, like, you know, that most guy. profitable. Yeah. Definitely up there for one of the most profitable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it like turned around Taco Bell's business for some time. Yeah. There were two that I tried to pull off in Native. One was na uh, Native and Supreme. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted to try and get Supreme on our deodorants. You know, I didn't know. I knew a guy who worked at Carlisle, which owned Supreme, right. basically or owned a majority stake or something like that. Couldn't make any traction. The other one I tried to do was Native and LaCroix. Like I wanted to launch LaCroix flavors for Native, like Pompalus. Yeah. And like, you know, fun branding where the packaging would look like a LaCroix can, but it was a deodorant <laughs> yeah. inside. Uh, and they were like, no. Uh, but I thought that was a great one. Have I ever told you the story where LaCroix's lawyers sent the cease and desist to hint Why? for me to stop tweeting shit about LaCroix? Oh, really? <laughs> what did you, what, tell me what you said. Uh, and then I've got another story about that yeah, too. Yeah, okay. So, so hint was always kind of like, it was always hint versus LaCroix, you uh -huh. know? So I would just tweet just a bunch of shit about yeah. LaCroix. You know, oh, they're lined with BPA inside the cans. So if you want cancer, sure, go ahead. Drink some LaCroix. <laughs> You'll get there faster. You know, LaCroix tastes like you put the ingredient in the other room and let let it sit in the air for a bit, and then it came into the can. Um, and you were tweeting this from Hint's Twitter account or your no, Twitter account? No, mine, personally. Okay, gotcha. But then their lawyers, and this is when I learned they were a publicly traded company. Their lawyers emailed Hint's lawyers or whatever and said, you guys got this employee and <laughs> he needs to shut the fuck up. Yeah. And they sent like a, an attachment with just links, just full of links, top to bottom, size 12, just link after link. Yeah. And it was not only the stuff that I would put out, but then like, you know, I'd get other people riled up. Yeah. And supporting him. And it was all their replies too. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, their their lawyers are pretty stingy. That's awesome. Uh, when Native started, I did the same thing. People would tweet. I mean, there's sort of very few people, but people were tweeting about Tom's a main. So it'd always be like, stop using Tom's and try Native. And then uh, after we sold the business once, I tweeted and I was like, um, Tom's of Maine has some of the same ingredients that uh, is in antifreeze in cars. Do you really want to put that on your body all day, every day? So I tweeted that on like a Tuesday night. Yeah. Wednesday morning, the guy who runs deodorants at PNG calls me up. Yeah, like he's in the East Coast, I'm on the West Coast, but he calls me up pretty early, probably like 7 a.m. my time. And he's like, hey, uh, the Toms of Maine general counsel called our general counsel and that guy called me and you got to delete this tweet right now. <laughs> and I was like, I, it hasn't even been up for 12 hours and I've been asleep, you know, six of those 12 hours. And they're like, this has to go right now. And it's, you know, it's basically Toms of Maine, you have the same ingredients as antifreeze. You know, don't you want to, like, you know, you're talking about healthy ingredients. Do you really want to be using this everywhere? And, you know, they got upset very, very quickly. Yeah. They're going to uh, be reaching out to the limited supply general yeah, counsel yeah, that's as right. well. Yeah, now. yeah. It was great. No, <laughs> fuck, fuck you, Tom. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a really good collaboration. Okay. We don't have a bunch of time left. I want, do want to talk about some random stuff that I cool. thought of. So one is, uh, one, I should mention this when we were talking about P&Ls. I saw this article about GoPuff in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. GoPuff is trying to raise some uh, new capital right now. They raised $2 billion last year at a $15 billion valuation. And they reported that in the first three months of this year, they lost $400 million. Wow. $400 million. So Did they're burning what? 100 they million. Were, what they're burning it on? Uh, no, it didn't say that. Uh, but that means they're burning more than $100 million per month. 
that is an insane, insane amount of money to be lighting on fire. Because yeah. like you know they've got a lot of revenue too. Like this isn't so they've got, like if you create that P and L, you got to get to it from sales. You got to get to negative one hundred million dollars. Yeah, or one hundred thirty three million dollars. And I don't know how they did that. Uh, but I thought that was a bananas number. That's crazy. They just laid off a ton of people as well. Oh, did they? Yeah. I didn't see that. Yeah, uh, probably a month ago, maybe. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, they said that like we're not burning that much anymore. Now they're like we're gonna we're we're fixing this. So like <laughs> this is obviously not a good number to be in the Wall Street Journal. And so yeah. I think they called up the, like they had an interview with the CFO and this or somebody high up at GoPuff, and they're like, oh, we're fixing it. We're fixing it. It's not going to be four hundred million dollars yeah, yeah. again the next quarter. I thought that That's was funny, crazy. Um, the other thing I saw was uh, I just got this email. Allbirds is having a sale. I thought this was really crazy because like a year ago, oh, Allbirds. I never thought you had were talking sales. about like they were about to sell the company. No, 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 no. That would be bigger news. I would have put that up higher. But yeah, like, they're yeah. having a sale, which I guess is not big news for any brand. But like you know, it's always interesting to watch brands that never had sales mm-hmm. be like, "Fuck, we need a boost of revenue, and so we're going to discount our products." Yeah. I'm not sure if I we mentioned this in the podcast earlier, but like there was a brand called Tuft and Needle. Do you know Tuft and Needle? Yeah. They never discounted and they had this uh, referral program that were like, you know, if I referred you to buy a mattress, I would get $50 and you would say $50. And they're like, this thing was, you know, 30% of our new customers or 40% of our new customers were coming in through this referral program. Wow. And uh, then they made this big announcement. They're like, we're canceling it. Even though it's fantastic, we want everyone who buys a tuft and needle mattress to pay the exact same price. And I was like, fuck, these guys are serious about like never discounting. And then they got bought by like a private equity firm. And then discounts? Discounts every day. They, look, more the private equity firms crew. like, we need money. Yeah, more <laughs> discounts fuck your brand. I just loaded up the site. It says Labor Day sale up to $600 off of a mattress, you know? Wow. And 20% off your sleep favorites. Like That's insane. Uh, instantly they switch. And that was Casper's business model too. They're like, we're not going to discount. You shouldn't get it. You shouldn't pay a different price on yeah. Memorial Day. Now it's covered with discounts yeah. or a firm or financing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's changed so much. Yeah. And so I feel like um, whenever you see a brand start doing that, you know that like they're reaching a little bit for growth. And there's nothing wrong with it. We did it all the time. And to be honest, I don't think you train customers if you do it infrequently. Agreed. But, and like Al- Albert certainly isn't doing it frequently. Like I don't think they're training customers, but it's interesting to see a brand that like imagine if Apple was started running 20% off sales. Yeah. It would be crazy, right? It'd be like, bananas. that'd be in the New York Times, like on right. the fr- on the front uh, cover of the New York or on the front page of the New York Times. Yeah. Apple 20% <laughs> discount. You've never seen this. I actually think running sales very infrequently almost trains your customers to look for them. I think away is run one sale and Allbirds also doesn't run that many. Yeah. I mean Apple's main one is just Black Friday. Yeah. And like, if it gets near that time, I almost just wait. Yeah. But if they, oh, yeah. if it was like, you know, Labor Day, 10%, 15%, I guess I would then wait for the sale, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold out yeah. that much. Yeah. And you look, like, you know, you're not, might not be aware of it. You might be not like, okay, Labor Day is coming up this weekend. Right. Like you, you might think about that today because we're so close to it. But last week you'd be like, oh, that's too far. Like right. to save those $2, I'm not going <clears> to do this. Right. One other question I thought about is like um, conversion rate optimization because you had this amazing yeah. Twitter thread today and like you talked about CRO and how important this is. Has anyone ever tested like auto applying a coupon code versus not? I've never tested that. Like, yeah, um, we we do it with landing pages. So when you go to a landing page and you click add to cart, we use these Shopify permalinks, and within the permalink, we have the exact variant from the landing page, as well as the quantity and the coupon code, all within the URL. So when you get to the checkout, we might still say, you know, use 
welcome for 20% yeah. off on the lander. Yeah. But when you get to the checkout, you already see it applied. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that's great. the idea is like to basically on the lander, it's not really for the purpose that they copy and paste it. It's just that they see it again. Yeah. Like, hey, you're getting this discount. Yeah. And does that improve conversion rates, I guess? Yeah. I don't know a number off the top of my head, but it definitely works way better. Yeah. It's okay, kind of gotcha. like, it's similar to your other trick, which was putting the the coupon code box or where you can write a coupon code in, in the slide out cart versus yeah. just on, on Shopify checkout, checkout yeah. which is the default. Yeah. Because a lot of people get to the slide out cart and they don't know where to go. Yeah. That is a massive problem on Shopify, actually, when the slide, yeah. oh, the, I think we had to build that custom those things have to have coupon codes. Like we switch from WooCommerce. So when we were on WooCommerce, which was, you know, you don't have to pay anything for subscriptions first. So it's way cheaper. But like um, on the cart page, there was a coupon code box and that's where most people entered the coupon code. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we switched to Shopify, we didn't have that initially. And so the conversion rate dropped materially because people were like, where's the coupon code box? I can't find it. Forget it. I'm not applying it. Because they didn't go to the checkout page. They looked on the cart page, couldn't find it and just abandoned their cart. And so that was a real problem and we custom built it because we're like, this is a hair on fire type of problem. I wonder what it's like, for, like, you know, there's so many things to think about when you're auto applying a coupon code. One is there's going to be a certain percentage of people that forget to apply the coupon code. So you're going to have a little bit more revenue and your margin's going to be a little bit better. Right. Like, you know, does that make up for it? But really, what is it be like, you know, is your conversion rate much better if you apply the coupon code? And then a follow up to that would be, I wonder what happens if when you apply the coupon code automatically, you write under it, this is the best coupon code we have available. That's a good idea. So people aren't like, let me go Google to see if 10% is the most I can save. What yeah. if they have a 20% coupon code out there? Yeah. You know what's funny is like, that is such a tactical thought. Yeah. Another one that we that I played around with recently that is just crushed is uh, writing explicitly. Like, and we all think this is common sense, but your order will ship in 24 hours. That line increases conversion. Yeah, I bet it does. It's nuts. Yeah. Even like um, like a return policy on the checkout page or like, right. you know, that kind of stuff. Harry's does a great a job of this. And yeah. like they have a stamp where they're like, you know, Harry's guarantee. And you Magic know what, Spoon has a happiness guarantee. Yeah. That's the other thing that's one. ridiculous is even like a lock where you're like, your information is secure, yeah. depending on how old your customers are. Like at Native, we targeted older people. Like everyone thought our customers were millennials. No, nah, not really. And so we had a lock on that. Like, you know, people would be like, I don't see a lock. And I was like, oh, okay, you want me to drop an image of a lock? Like I can, like, it doesn't mean anything, yeah. but if you want, I can literally have an image of a lock on our checkout page. Right. And that was good. Yeah. Like that, actually that image does work. There's this one company uh, based in the UK and I talked to the guy and he's a phenomenal founder and I'm going to bring him up on another podcast. But like, uh, he basically told me that having trust pilot reviews mm -hmm. uh, increased his conversion rate, like, you know, near the checkout page. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And he's like, I A-B tested no trust pilot versus trust pilot reviews, like, you know, the icon of them. And it really helped. Um, Just putting the trust pilot logo? The logo and the number of like stars, like, you know, oh, four and a half stars out of five. Wow. Uh, he's like, this helps. I feel like I am not insanely aware of the power of trust pilot or the influence of trust pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. But a lot of people seem to be. Yeah. Because I think you can't edit them. I think that's the whole thing. Really? Yeah. It's like people can say what they want to say. I don't believe it, but I, I'm, I'm, let's check it out. Yeah, we should check it out. Yeah, because that is, uh, I've never heard of that, uh, but that's pretty crazy. We should get Okendo to build a widget for the Shopify checkout. 
Yeah, like they right absolutely should. The, the uh, coupon code, there should be a script that you can just paste in there. They absolutely should. I, I think it's really powerful from a CRO perspective. Yeah. You know, we did a great job of testing CRO. Like, I never realized this at the time, but like afterwards, I was like, wow, we were good at CRO because, yeah. you know, we had 25,000 orders on a Black Friday. You like that is a lot of incentive to make sure that what you've done is, is working. Right. And we just had the traffic for it. So we were like, you know, I imagine what like, I, I know Amazon does, you know, the best job probably in the world. Like, you know, sometimes it took us two weeks for a test to complete where we're like statistical significance has been achieved and we know this is working or this isn't. I bet Amazon could do it in like an hour. They're like, we launched this yeah, test 30 minutes. an hour later. They're like, we know what we should be doing. Here. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how shitty their website looks despite all of this. But, you know, they have that prime badge and it says, hey, right. this is shit. like, you know, that stuff is meaningful. Yeah. I, I want to say their conversion rates like 10 percent or something. Yeah, eight, I mean, eight to ten percent. You go there with such high intent, yeah. right? Like you go there. I'm surprised it's only ten percent, right? Yeah. Like I'm like, I know I'm looking here to buy, and you have the pro- like. I came to your site not to discover, but to buy Tide laundry detergent or something like that. Right. And so um, I'm I'm surprised. I'm not surprised that it's ten percent. I'm surprised it's not higher. Yeah. One other thing I want to talk about on this random stuff was like uh, italic. Yeah. Uh, you know how italic has all those, like, they'll be like, we have this leather jacket, we have this leather bag. It's made of the same factory as like Louis Vuitton. Yeah. How are they allowed to do that? Because if That's I were Louis question. Vuitton, I'd be like, I'm going to stop working with this factory. Or I would send them a cease and desist. Yeah. Yeah. How I don't know how that works. I don't exactly know the, how they do it. But if you go to their site and you click one of the, you know, it says same manufacturer as. And so if you click like Max Mara, it's got all the other products that, the same factory as them make. And so they've got, you know, you click on that and now you've got 60 new products to look at all made by the same factory. And yeah, I don't know how they do this. I mean, obviously they just, he just goes to the right factories, but I don't know how he's able to advertise that without backlash. Yeah. And yeah, like if I were a brand, I'd be like, if you do this, I'm leaving here right away. Like I I see this William Sonoma stuff and he's got like a dog bed, I guess somehow, and also champagne glasses, like the same factory is making champagne glasses and dog beds. Yeah. For William Sonoma and for Italic. That seems crazy. But like, um, you know, good for him. Like that that stuff is about like, you know, yeah, I want to buy something that's made at the Louis Vuitton factory without that right. price. That's awesome. Yeah. Honestly, do, do you shop at Italic? No. The products are amazing. Are they? Oh, yeah. Like truly, truly top notch quality. That's awesome. What have you bought from there that you really like? A lot of stuff. T-shirts, shorts, gym shorts, cookware, knives, wow. socks, boxers. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I would shop, uh, like, you know, I don't have a house, uh, which is why I'm looking for them on Twitter. It, yeah. Like, you know, so I don't need to buy kitchen equipment or something like that. Something under could, 20K. I'm sorry? If there's anything under 20K. Yeah, believe it or not, there is not. <laughs> uh, I know that sounds like a high budget, but like uh, even at 20K, I've not found a ton of success. But like, I guess like I haven't been able to buy cooking equipment because I haven't had yeah, a house yeah. for, uh, for some time. Basically, since Italic loss, left, law launched, I've abandoned uh, uh, my life. You're homeless. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Let's, uh, we, we got to wrap up. So I yeah. guess let's do a shout out to brands that we really like. Cool. And then let's talk about what we've got going on in our next episode. All right. So I will give a shout out to the sock company, which I don't know. I'll, I'll bring Excellent it for the next time. <laughs> uh, but the second one goes to Mad Happy. Uh, which is a, I think, just a phenomenal clothing brand. And they, I feel like in fashion, you know, you're really at risk of you either crush it or you just suck and yeah. die. And uh, they've been crushing it. And they're really smart with their collaborations, how they come out with products. 
And it's an Indian dude that runs it, right? I know he's brown. I don't know if he's Indian. Yeah, yeah. But yeah I mean, like from the subcontinent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, name is... <laughs> Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I want to give one out to Strikes, which is like this men's makeup company. Uh, I recently got some sunscreen from them and I really like it. And I bought some men's makeup as well from Target because they're a Target. I didn't buy it from Target, actually. I bought it from their website because I wanted to try it out. And I was like, what is men's makeup? Like, I don't understand. Like, they have concealer. And I was like, I don't know what concealer is, but it's made for men. And I want to see what this looks like. Mm -hmm. I'm not wearing any, in case you're wondering. And um, I tried it out and it's phenomenal. It's yeah. I'm like, no wonder women look so hot all the time. They have this product that makes their face look like they've never had any issues with facial skincare, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I got all these, like I got pop marks and you just put on this concealer and it looks fantastic. Yeah. And I was like, am I allowed to Is do Is it your this new now? normal now? No, it's not my no. new normal. I'm too like, uh, I'm not comfortable enough in my masculinity for it to be <laughs> my new normal. But if I got comfortable enough in yeah. my masculinity, if I was George Clooney, it would be my new normal. Or if I was That's Leonardo awesome. DiCaprio, it would be my new normal. I oh, All of Twitter is just Leonardo DiCaprio is uh, broke up with another girl because she is 25 years <laughs> yeah. old, you know? I love that. Uh, uh, okay, let's talk about a few of the things we want to talk about next time. Um, yeah. One is Quibi, which we haven't talked about. I want to talk about this uh, concept that we talked, uh, this uh, bullet point, which is trusting direct-to-consumer brands versus old incumbents. It's a little surprising that a lot of people will be like, I want to try, I trust this new brand and not a big company. Right. And then you get the issues of like Daily Harvest. Like Daily Harvest would probably not happen to Purdue Farms, you know? Right. So I'd love to uh, get into that. We got to talk about the best subscription app, which is something that we wanted to chat about for a little bit. And then I think we should also talk about like cash flow issues for businesses. I know there was something on Twitter uh, when I saw we launched us that. that got a lot of love, which was, hey, how do businesses think about cash flow when it comes to Q4, especially because they've got to order a lot of inventory? Um, so I'm excited to talk about all those things on the pod. And then we've got Shopify president coming up in a couple of weeks. We yep. gotta, like, Harley's coming yeah. September 12th. Yeah. And um, so we'll be recording that. Yeah. I'm super and excited. That'll be that. an awesome episode. Yeah. We got to collect a bunch of questions on Twitter. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um, in part, cause I've made and then lost millions of dollars with Shopify stock. Uh, so I'm like, you know, very excited to talk to him about it. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks right, so much for listening to episode eight. Uh, episode nine's, uh, you know, going to be recorded soon. Sounds good. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. 